Welcome back to the Brooklyn Poets Yobcast for May 13th, 2019. Featuring poet Anna Bazicevich leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I'm your host and MC once again, Jason Koo. The Brooklyn Poets Yop is a monthly poetry workshop and open mic held at 61 Local in Cobble Hill. That's at 61 Bergen Street off Smith Street near the Bergen Street FG stop. For more info and to sign up, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's open mic lineup featured Arthur Russell, Julie Hart, Bonnie Belay, Hannah Donovan, Tim Olds, Creighton Blinn, Faison Syed, Sarah Lynn Rogers, Mike Fresentes, Adam Holovic, Kayla Schwab, Tim Gerber Flurry, Renee Kay, Todd Friedman, Prince McNally, Judy Schneier, Constantine Jones, Laura Murphy, Bill Livingston, Sharon Chowdhury, Julie Hoffman, and last but not least, Josephine Blair. So, let's get right to the action, the Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic for May. Enjoy. Okay, everyone, how you doing? That was fucking terrible. How you doing? Thank you. Uh, this is the Broken Poets Yop open mic, where we specialize in fucking terrible. Um, how y'all doing once again? Yeah? All right. I, I like that spirit, Todd Friedman. Um, so I am holding in my hands this free publication, which you should all take home if you don't have it already. This is the, uh, I talked about this at the showcase last Monday. This is a publication that the uh, 2019 Whitman Consortium, I mentioned this last time, you know it's a, a fancy event when someone calls it a consortium. This is a, a group of organizations devoted to celebrating Whitman in 2019, which if you don't know is the year that marks the bicentennial of his birth, which we are celebrating on May 31st um, ourselves, Brooklyn Poets, at Smack Mellon in Dumbo. Uh, so definitely come out for that. You will get a newsletter in your mailbox tomorrow if you are subscribed to our newsletter about this bicentennial event. In fact, the winner of the contest in the 23 and 8 up age bracket, Marietta Brill, is somewhere in this room. Where are you? She's right there, so uh, give her a round of applause. So that night, uh, starting at 7.30, when doors open, we will hear from the winners, including Marietta. Are there any other winners? Oh, Constantine Jones is in here, too, right. Our second place winner is also in the room. This is pretty awesome. We didn't even plan it this way, but they are here. So we had uh, winners in the, 13, the, the super young ones, 13 to 17 years old, 18 to 22 years old, and also 23 and up, which Constantine and Marietta uh, are. I was going to say sadly are, but why is it sad that we're old? <laughs> you know, I was, I know, it's 23 and up. I'm, I'm assuming neither one of them is 23. Um, yeah, exactly. We're always turning 23. Um, but they will be reading along with our judges, Tina Chang, Rowan Ricardo Phillips, and Mark Doty. It's going to be a super nice night. Going to have a ton of food. I'm getting just, just like breaking the bank for the catering that night, so definitely come out for some free food if you're not coming out for the poetry. We're going to celebrate Whitman. We're going to have free wine as well. If you haven't been to Smack Melon, it's an amazing space. It's just, I don't even, they got so fucking lucky. They were just like, they were became a nonprofit at the exact right time where like two trees donated this like historic fucking building <laughs> to them. <laughs> and they just like are in that building now, and it's, this is art gallery, so 
One day, maybe that'll happen to Brooklyn Poets. So if you know anyone with a historic building that uh, needs to be donated, <laughs> just put them in touch with me. But uh, we will be down there, not far from where Whitman used to actually work at the Brooklyn Daily Eagle, and he would take the ferry, of course, as many of you know, at the Fulton Ferry Landing, to Manhattan, and you know, gamble over there, and then come back uh, at the end of the day, and then write poems that now we know as Crossing Brooklyn Ferry. So uh, come out for that. Look at this calendar, because it's got many other events that Many of our friend organizations are putting together also a couple of essays in here which are really interesting and informative. And the pictures, right, in the back, you can see all the different changing faces of Walt Whitman. This is like uh, before the days of Instagram, it was much harder, <laughs> much harder to get your portrait taken. Yeah, I mean, he took some, or he had some beautiful portraits taken of himself. All right, so that's coming up May 31st. That's our big event. Definitely come out for that because, uh, man, me and Emily Blair are just working 24, Emily, we're just working 24 7 on this. Uh, uh, yeah, give her a round of applause. You don't need to applaud for me. But uh, one thing you will also get that night, if you don't already know, is a commemorative chapbook. I've always, I've always wanted to say commemorative something. <laughs> We're giving so it's like you go to a baseball game, you get like a commemorative jersey or something. We're giving him away a commemorative chapbook. You're gonna get this shit for free, uh, including all of the poems by the winners and judges that they the judges didn't win anything, but they just gave us a poem that we could use. Uh, and I am still finishing the fucking introductory essay for that. So that'll be hopefully done tomorrow. <laughs> and then we will send this to the printer. <laughs> Definitely not going to be done tonight. I don't know if you're hoping for that. Definitely tomorrow. Uh, and we will send it off to the printer, and that will be uh, hot off the presses for you on May 31st. So if you don't come to the event, you're not going to get a copy. So that's just the way it is. Uh, unless you're super nice to me. Uh, okay, some words about the open mic. If you haven't been here before, you get one poem, three minutes max on the mic. Please keep to your time because as you probably saw on the sheet, there's many people signed up for the wait list. We'd like to get to at least a couple people off that wait list every night, so please just be conscious of it. Uh, we record the podcast as an open mic that we call the Yawpcast. I'm happy to report we are now at 21 five-star ratings. I'm so, I'm, so, I'm so pleased about this. We were at 19 for like three agonizing months, and then... Uh, after I complained about it bitterly, a couple of very nice people put, pushed us over. Yeah, this is how I get most things in my life. I just complain bitterly about them. <laughs> this is what we do as poets. We complain bitterly and persuasively. Uh, but I'd be happy if you would have just had some more five-star ratings. That would be totally great. We could get to 30 by next month, and that would be amazing. Um, if you don't want to be in the podcast, it's totally fine. Uh, you can just tell me. We can take you off the recording. We also vote for Poem of the Month every month, as you know. And the 12 winners of Poem of the Month over the whole year, they then uh, face off at the end of the year in December for Poem of the Year honors, honors, which brings you cash money and a Brooklyn Poets membership and t-shirt. It's pretty fucking fantastic. Uh, you're no longer fucking terrible, but you're fucking fantastic if you win that. So uh, the way to vote for Poem of the Month is by texting me. You just wait till the end of the open mic and you can text me. The number is 718-374-1953, which I'm sure no one will remember except all of you that already know it. 718-374-1953. All right, so just text me at the end of it. Just tell me the poet's name, and that will constitute your vote. Okay, I think that is it. Yes, Arthur? We're good. Arthur here will adjust the mic for you. Uh, let's give Arthur a round of applause. He's, he doesn't even get paid to do this. It's just, uh, it's just service he gladly renders. I mean, I don't know another poet in the country that adjusts open mic mics for people. So it's definitely a singular <laughs> honor. It's occurring to me now how amazing it is what you do. Okay, so before we get to the... <laughs> I mean, among the many other amazing things that you do. <laughs> yeah, take a bow. Take a bow. Before we get to the open mic proper, we're going to hear from our professor tonight. Give it up for Anna Bozicevich. And a 
that's advertised? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm a little taller than that. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks very much, sir. Um, hi. Hi again. Well, I'm excited to hear you. I'm super excited. And I'm going to be really brief. I'm going to read you two poems. The first one is my New York City poem. It's a really short one. It's all I have to say. It's called NYC. My heart is a city full of characters and a central park full of all the animals I loved. That's it. That's the poem. <laughs> <laughs> Saying like that's, the, that's, that's something seems to me like very New York. Um, all right, and this is called Everyday People. Everyday people do remarkable things. They print new organs then insert them under the heart, perform flawless gymnastics routines. They enter small metal pods and glide through the atmosphere to the airless space beyond. They compose symphonies. Everyday people do impossible things. Bury their child on a warm spring day, then make a fresh pot of coffee. Feel pity and even forgiveness for the person who wronged them stupidly, cruelly. Walk to the top of the mountain and swim under ice. And still everyday people commit unspeakable crimes. They beat the bodies of elders who need their care, tear children from parents, and put walls between them. Wipe out whole species, level cities to nothing, put poison in rivers. And on the trees they killed, write beautiful poems. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, we have the open mic lineup here. So I forgot to print out the open mic lineup. For the first time in the history of Brooklyn Boats, <laughs> the Brooklyn Boats, yep, I forgot to print out the open mic lineup. That, that's why you were wondering, uh, did you sign up or not? Anyway, this is the, uh, the five open spots at the beginning. I don't know why I'm narrating all this, but our first reader of the night is the one who gladly adjusts the mic for you. Give it up for Arthur Russell. Excellent job with the mic, don't you think? It's just right, right where it should be. How'd that happen? So um, this, this poem, someone bought it for money <laughs> this week. <laughs> so there's that. And then there's also the fact that Marietta Abrams Brill texted me when she read it, I'm weeping. Yeah, so I'm feeling great. <laughs> and also, Keith Woodrow, who was a winner of Poem of the Month for like last October or November, he couldn't be here. So he said he'd listen to the opcast. So I'm dedicating this reading to Keith Woodrow. So he'll cry when he hears it. <clears throat> this is called Jamie. And my brother died in 9-11. He lived in Middletown, New Jersey, like many others who died that day. His wife was Jamie, the daughter of a radiologist named Paul Levy. And Jamie played the part of Beatrice in Much Ado About Nothing when she was in high school in Cedarhurst, one of the five towns, and gone to college at Bard and wore white shoes and had white jeans, many pairs, as she was skinny and blonde and smart. And that was her style. And she'd met my brother at his job at Cantor Fitzgerald, where he worked as a bond trader and drove an S-500 to the city every day. 
And on the day he'd purchased that car, which was midnight blue with cash from his first big Christmas bonus, he drove it to my house and parked it in the driveway and exulted over his success and the way he'd gotten the very car we'd talked about when we were teenagers growing up on Empire Boulevard in Brooklyn, the greatest production line automobile in the world, and he had thrown himself on the hood of the car and hugged it. He was on the 105th floor of One World Trade, and his S500 was in a parking lot on Washington and Rector Streets, one that had a peculiar open concept elevator system for the cars, which is where we found it, after he was murdered by Mohammed Atta and his gang, whose pictures were displayed on television screens night after night, as the stories of their infiltration and their pilot training, even their shaving the hair from their bodies on the morning of the terror, and their boarding of the flights in Maine with box cutters were told over and over to the American people whose love of religious freedom and hatred of Muslims sleep like spoons in a dark drawer. And at this time, I was living as a single man in Nutley, New Jersey, originally from Brooklyn, where I'd stayed up all night on August the 8th, 1974, with my best friend in high school, Michael, who is not my friend anymore because, among other things, he owns a gun shop, to get a copy of the next day's New York Times with its headline saying, Nixon resigns, when it was thrown from the truck in front of the candy store under the elevated subway stop on Avenue J and East 16th Street. And when the dew of youth evaporated, I became an attorney and clerk for a powerful judge in Hackensack, and he got me a job at a good New Jersey firm, and I pitched my tent in Nutley, not a Jewish town, unaware that a man does not make himself a Jew, that he is made a Jew by God or by other people. So I pitched my tent in Nutley, home of the Italian Catholics who displaced the Methodists, who displaced the Germans, who displaced the Dutch settlers, who had colonized this land on the north end of the parcel that quote unquote was sold by Robert sold to Robert Treat by the Lenny Lenape on July 11, 1667, bordered on the north by the Third River, a tributary of the Passaic flowing, west, flowing from the west, and I had a cute center hall colonial in the arts and crafts style that was popular in 1919, the year that my father and the father of my brother, who died in 9-11, was born in Malden, Mass., the year the Spanish flu killed 20 million. And when he died, my brother had not made any babies with Jamie, and my father sat on a low bench in his mourning, and he was weakened. And I could see how he clutched his hands between his knees, and he was broken by it. And I wanted to comfort him, and he would not be comforted. And on the third day, paraphrasing Genesis chapter 38, he looked at me and said, Gary, you should go and lie with Jamie and make a baby with her for your brother. And if you don't, then he will die again. And I refused my father. I said, no. <laughs> and he reasoned with me, and I wept, and he wept, and I looked into the folds of his face, and I said, no. And he became angry with me, and I became angry with him, and I left his side, and I went into the kitchen, and Jamie saw that I was angry, and she asked me what made me angry, and I refused to tell her, and she said, Gary, you have to tell me. But I looked away, and she said, Gary, look at me. And look, she was wearing black, and she was my sister, 
and I refused to tell her what my father said. And she was hurt, and I was sorry, and I did all I could for Jamie as a brother and knew the way from Nutley to Middletown in my sleep. And it came to pass, in January 2002, my brother's S500 came down the open concept elevator in the parking lot on Washington and Rector Streets where my brother had parked it on that morning, and I saw it coming down the elevator, and it was covered with a thick coating of ash, and the windshield wipers made fan shapes where the ash was pushed aside, and the ash was the ashes of the Trade Center and of those who died in 9-11, and my brother among them. And I remembered the the day my brother came to my house to show me his new car and threw himself across the hood exulting. And now look, here was my brother's car, covered in the ashes of the dead, and I kept that car. I kept my brother's car. And Jamie and I were married three years later. And we have two boys full of love, but this morning when I read that the father of a boy at Sandy Hook had killed himself, now six years after the rampage, I knew the toxic plume that grief spreads underground that joy can't reach had poisoned him and has not let me go. And I sat on the steps and held my hands between my knees. Thank you. It's not historically accurate poem. It's not about me. Thank you for that disclaimer. Powerful poem. It's good to get paid, too. I think I paid quite a lot of money for that poem. I'm not going to tell you how much it was, because uh, you might kill him. <laughs> it's more money than I've ever made off a of poem. That's for sure. Uh, I like that you're from Nutley, by the way. Or no, you're not from there, but I like that you live there. Arthur Russell from Nutley, New Jersey. I also love Hackensack. It's one of the great names, one of the great city names. Wait, say that again? Oh. <laughs> Nutley produces mic-adjusting poets. Uh, our next reader, uh, just like Arthur's a former Yawper of the Year, and our next reader is also a former Yawper of the Year. Give it up for Julie Hart. This is a strap hanging in New York. On a rainy day, you appreciate the myriad wellies, duck boots, scarves of all colors and styles. Anyone not in a black coat looks instantly out of place. That peripheral t attention with which fellow subway travelers check each other out without staring or letting their gaze linger for too creepily long on any one person, the way they seem and perhaps are oblivious to everyone around them. It's easy to feel singular alone in your apartment, better than anyone else, even if it is a tiny studio, but not here in the floods of humanity, surging in at every step, surging out, surging up the stairs, out onto the street, streaming along the avenues, so many that their cumulative bob and weave begins to seem like a liquid flow, each head a throbbing receptacle for dreams and desires, angers and enthusiasms, sports statistics and fashion opinions. You too flow with a vast sea of infinite variety, pulsing along the tunnels underground, along sidewalks or footpaths. You too contain your own universe inside your fractal dendrites, feel special and unique, even as you understand intellectually that all that uniqueness is modded out by sheer numbers, sheer volume. Who is uniquest? 
<laughs> Virtually, you can feel the same oceanic feeling being but a drop in the Atlantic as its waves pound the dunes if you browse all the people you might befriend on Facebook, linked to on LinkedIn. You see photo after photo, strangers, acquaintances, friendly or hopeful of connection, but you can always stop looking, turn away. Not in Atlantic Terminal at 6.15 p.m. on a weekday. <laughs> the floods plunge below you as you thread your way to the R train, bent on poetry once again, trying out your own unique utterance, shouting or whispering it to the static gale of noise all around, the screech of wheel on rail, the squawk of garbled announcements blaring overhead, the combined tramp of thousands of shoes, swishy, the swish of thousands of legs pulling past each other, the bump and twirl of slight or near collisions as the maelstrom flows around pillars, down ramps, upstairs, down escalators. People as blood circulating the city, bringing it life from every corner of the earth. Here's where all biomes meet, all genes, all languages, all diseases, all cures. People pumped about in the arteries of the city, sending their passions, privileges, pains, pouts, peeves, panics, platitudes into the most cosmopolitan mix in the whole world, unending waves of humanity, of which you are one and only one single unit. What is it then between us? Generalizing from the universe inside your own head, you imagine the same inside everyone else, because why assume they are in any way less than your own infinities, your own wide open vistas? Their bodies, too, respond to coffee, breeze, color, touch, with a spangling pleasure that spreads from core to limbs, an ever-expanding wave of delight, continually renewable, constantly available in the foam of a cortado, the red of holly berries on Clinton, the gathering of words spotted on the street this morning so far, rattan, tomato, ginger. <laughs> See it, say it, feel its roll off the tongue. Start another wave by closing your eyes, slowly reveling in the moment, feel the wave crest and subside. Your endorphins, their endorphins, everyone's endorphins. <laughs> we all feel, but we do not all feel the same, or not all the time. Still, you think you were born to do this, to live here, to flow with these unique individuals, some of whom you will meet and learn to cherish, most of whom you will never even clap eyes on, but by their very presence in this dense and seething mass of humanity, make the city what it is what it can be, what you need it to be, what you love. Thank you. Good stuff, Julie Hart. So that poem was a finalist for our contest as well. Uh, yeah, let's give her a round of applause for that. There are... Uh, there's some other finalists in here, aren't there? No? Shara. Where's Shara? Shara was also a finalist. You want a round of applause too? Let's, I got lots of rounds of applause. It was very difficult to decide. I didn't have to do the final deciding, thank God. Um, Mark Doty, I'm sure, was <laughs> agonizing over it. Uh, he got his decision to us very late. Uh, pretty much everything Mark Doty sent to us was very late. Uh, yeah, maybe he was just chilling on, chilling on the beach. You know, he lives in Springs. He's got a nice house up there. So maybe he was just chilling there with his dogs. <laughs> but I'm sure there was a little agony. There's always a little agony. Yes. Anyway, I'm just reflecting on that in my life. There's always a little agony. <laughs> just had a weird moment there. Our next poet is Bonnie Belay. Give it up for Bonnie.
to be taller. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you should move the mic. I want to actually be taller. <laughs> <laughs> so I brought two poems, and I'm going to read the one that's less like a rant. <laughs> There's a lot to rant about. Thursdays, I clean house. I don't know who come to inspect. The police, the NSA, ICE. I can't judge the danger or how clean my house has to be. If immigrants are dropped off in this sanctuary city, I can squeeze a family of four or five in the parlor. Every night I set the table for war. Chipped <laughs> plates, missing napkins. I listen for the thud of AK-47s, the heavy weep of blood. I make cheap, slow-cooked food, rice and beans, root vegetable stews. My son clears the, the table. My husband does the dishes. I sit waiting for carpet bombs, for this city to be pounded into rubble, because any city can become Aleppo, because this is what's expected. Every night I set the table for war. God damn. Okay, it's on now. Uh, <laughs> our next poet uh, won Poem of the Month very recently. Give it up for Hannah Donovan. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay, this poem is called Something Like Bones. Something like bones ache. I say something like bones because I am neither scientist nor spiritualist, or rather I am both, but not yet poet enough to possess the language to describe your flight and the settling without. I can say it is more human and also less, this sensation. I can say something like bones ache. Thank you. Thank you, Hannah. Our next reader is, I believe, a up debuter. Give it up for Tim Olds. Thank you, I've never had a mic professionally adjusted before. Cherish the moment. I am. Be a, a short time listener, first time caller. Uh, this, uh, this, this poem's called At Day's End. I see now in the setting sun, putting on my coat as a chill returns, how I became callous, hard-hearted, from attending to so many words. I see now as the ferry departs, water white in the wake, how your heart never heeded actions, only sounds echo, echo in your mind. I see now under half-dark sky, the pink on purple, the blue royal, two cracked stone jugs emptied. I see knowing doesn't mend them. I see now in the orange street lamp, cast down with the gum and fallen change, that nothing was wrong but this, but that this had been the whole day. Thank you.
Good stuff, Tim. <laughs> Thanks for finally re funny intro. Um, okay, so now we're on to the digitized open mic lineup. This is the first. It's like I was talking to Bill Livingston about uh, his phone. <laughs> so Bill, by the way, so I, I in July I'm going to be in Brazil. This is going to be the first yop I ever miss. So Bill Livingston is going to be our guest MC in July. So uh, get ready for that. Um, <laughs> But we were talking about uh, how to play music from the uh, the speakers over here, and I was like, well, you know, there's like a fucking dongle on that thing now, because this needs a dongle. <laughs> so I was like, well, I don't know if your dongle is the same as my dongle. <laughs> this is a totally ridiculous conversation. He's like, well, does it just plug into like a regular headphone jack? And I just looked at him like he was insane. I was like, how old is your phone, old man? <laughs> it's like, do you remember just like regular headphone jacks? Jesus. Wow, what a world we live in. Our next poet is Creighton Blinn. Give it up for Creighton. Hi. You say you want a culture war. In one of his more irritable moods, Jesus sneered that he had not come to bring peace, but a sword, severing friend from friend, parent from child. Throughout the centuries, this oracle has proven its accuracy up to and including our own strife-filled age, full of latter-day moral guardians, condemning while craving what's hidden behind closed doors. In the past, it was possible to laugh off such foibles as evidence of a shared humanity, humming hymns to the brighter side of life while seeking spirituality through more personal passions. Where's the harm in taking the piss out of a few sacred relics? Sola Scriptura, right? My readings of Holy Writ are as valid as any million dollar ministers or white haired politicians, yet you seek special status, enshrining your own interpretations above all others, placing faith in scribes and scholars, wishing to safeguard commandments from corruption. Know them by their fruits? Well, fine then. When you teach current affairs to your children, how do you explain what an adult film actress is? You have your culture war, slashing away with Christ's sword, passing judgment in his name, and underscoring differences, leaving the spirit of the law so much collateral damage. Thank you. Thank you, Grayton. Our next reader is Faison Sayed. Give it up for Faison. All right. Hey, everyone. Um, so I'm going to read you a piece uh, called Found and dot, dot, dot. I again return to the night you fall conscious. I throw darts at ballooned pupils and strike holy water. My flushed palms trace severed wings and lift you by your arms. Vodka seeps down the corner of your eye, ignites a cut on my thumb. I mirror each step we foxtrotted back to the gap in the seat of the subway car where you held my last reflection's gaze. 
You mistook me for a friend and led my body up to dangle souls off the rooftop's cliff to stare with me, if only for a little while, at the sprawl of suns tracing your love half-turned against the moon as you scoured the skyline for one star's bleeding edge. I know of no deliverance like that of hope's panicking leap only to tumble down 2019 stories left unsaid. My dreams unspool down your next lover's navel. You again avert your gaze as I straddle the yellow line and ride the violent rush of cool into the city's arteries where record numbers of fatal heart attacks and strokes seem to only occur within milliseconds of discovering the secret to online dating. <laughs> Old York, please auction another pamphlet mapping out our hubris. Two moonwalks, a wrong turn out of context, the dance floor's cryptography throbbing inside heels that refuse to be broken in, except by charming locker room talk and speakeasy back alley meetings awash in silence's neon pulse. On the day you absolve me of my naivete, I almost find your memory's eye. Whirl with me then through the fog and let me freeze your imprint on the bar stools and faux shag carpets and backlit smoke and chortles and ice sheets until our nights converge into a constellation of all the dreams you uttered in my presence. I scour my regrets for the seamless moments in which you abandoned each memory of me. All this time, I blame myself for not daring you. But I know now how fear cloaks herself in daylight. How she's shielding these naked windows at dawn like my mother livid with hope. I've forgiven her lies for their compassion. Yours, I lost. Thank you, Faison. Our next reader is Sarah Lynn Rogers. Give it up for Sarah. I'll presume from that introduction that I need no introduction. <laughs> Walt Whitman is haunting the subway in a New York Times article photo of the first ride. Men in boating hats and Mayor George McClellan on that rickety behemoth, its headlight like a porthole. And for some reason, someone has painted his face over a photographed face unconvincingly. When I was six, I doctored a snapshot drawing three long eyelashes indenting ballpoint pen above each of my eyes. And now I am the prettiest. This is about that good. <laughs> Did they think we would not notice this gray man with no mouth, his painterly beard, cleaving apart in a second photo like a pair of arms divesting of a chin? We who have laughed over baboon-like conservation mishap Jesus, his mouth a perfect howling O, like mine today, gulping oxygen for lack of sleep after a late night film about delusion. So beautiful the costumes, the arid landscape, 
livestock, the actors' mouths spouting poetry, and the writing rising phoenix-like, though its speakers die. What is it like to make something that matters? Like Whitman's words, an image still so strong where once he lived, one ghost superimposed over another. Thank you, Sarah. You really do need no introduction. Um, it's been fun reading all these Whitman poems lately, um, <laughs> and reading Whitman, incidentally. For the last couple of weeks, been reading a lot of Whitman, a lot of uh, articles on Whitman, a lot of updated research on Whitman, and uh, turns out Whitman was actually a pretty good poet. That's what I'm, <laughs> that's what I'm remembering, you know. It's like, uh, it's very easy to forget, you know, because he's kind of like an institution now, but uh, don't ever forget that fucker could really write a poem. Man, um, so we will celebrate that on May 31st. Also a really complicated, kind of a fucked up guy. Uh, not really a good guy. Uh, kind of a racist, you know, but great poet. I'm not sure that makes it okay. Probably not. But uh, it's complicated. We're going to talk about that on May 31st. <laughs> I've been <laughs> really thinking a lot about this over the last couple of weeks. Anyway, I'm just just like to record this so everyone can listen to it for no reason. Our next poet, this is really not an introduction for him at all, but give it up for Mike Fresentes. Hey guys, uh, this poem really flows from two places. Uh, one is Laura Eve Engels, Amazing, The Personals Political Workshop, uh, which like, I wrote the first draft there, it was really great. And the other is the work of W.S. Merwin, who sadly passed away this year, but who's always been a huge influence for me. Yeah, snaps for, snaps for Merwin. Um, okay. <clears throat> After the Bramble K. Malomus. The first mammal has gone extinct due to climate change, so I am building an ark. I am papering over the hull with poetry, but water will leak in through the line breaks, so I am papering over the poetry with prose poetry. In this metaphor, we are the animals. I saw a rat at Canal Street last night. I was drunk, stumbling home. It was hugging the wall, running to the end of the platform, and then off into the dark. When I am drunk, stumbling on train platforms, I hug the walls, too. I thought then of the Malomus, uh, an Australian rodent native to Bramble Cay, a low island in a rising sea. I thought about lemmings and cliffs. I thought about rats and sinking ships. In this metaphor, we're the ark. In the moment, I wanted to name the rat. In the moment, I wanted to name myself. I have become a creature of moments of short-term joys and consequences. So when I am stumbling on train platforms, I worry about tumbling into the dark, not cirrhosis. I don't think about my liver anymore. <laughs> not when it's raining like this, like it rained yesterday and before, like it will rain for 40 days and 40 nights or 40 times 40, or 40 to the 40th power, which is 40 times 40, 40 times. I think. I struggle with math when I'm drunk. I struggle with word order, too, which is why I don't know whether we need to save poetry or be saved by it. On the arc, then, there will be room for two of every type of poem. I will bring too many elegies, though. A boat full of book-length elegies for dearly departed adult sons and beloved wives. I am compensating for the inevitable never of my beloved wife, of my adult son. 
In this metaphor, we are the righteous man. In this metaphor, we are the dove. In this metaphor, we are the flood. Thank you. Coach Hit, Mike Frasantes. That's all I got. That's good shit. <laughs> I was trying to think of something else. Woody. Um, I've done this amazing thing. I've memorized the next reader. I didn't have to bring up my phone this time. It was like this technological update I made over the last minute. So, <laughs> so it's occurring to me that I don't need to bring my phone up every time. Our next reader is Adam Holabek. Give it up for Adam. Cognition solstice. I drive along a serpentine road with ocean to my left and small pastures interrupted by mountains to my right. The sun is just setting with the last faint rays of light slipping into the horizon. I don't recall exactly how I got here or where I am. Only small mementos of an airport remained in my mind. Continuing my drive, I begin seeing the distant lights of a town getting closer, revealing itself to me in shifting stages. I eventually park and start to walk, entering a maze of streets resplendent with Victorian buildings stacked atop of each other in dizzying cascades of gray rock. Candles flicker in the darkened windows, lighting a path down to a lighthouse by the beach. I start to hear guitar music and singing, footsteps coming and going in rhythmic patterns, dancing, hands clapping, people talking, but I see no one. Long sheets of ocean blue fabric wave along curved laundry wires suspended between buildings. I am alone, searching, somehow hovering above the town to take in the scene, then coming back to my point of view again in tide-like cycles. I look into the darkened windows, no signs of life, only the candles guiding me onto the beach. Continuing to walk, I notice a three-story rectangular building of travertine marble with balconies fully surrounding each floor resembling terraces. I stand there and watch it for a moment, then turn my gaze toward the beach ahead, listening to the distant waves breaking over the surf gently like soft chimes. The wind is constant and fresh, and I begin to feel a sense of urgency about my present situation, making my way onto the beach. I notice the sky is dark and the sun has finally set. My feet start getting heavier and I can't see the path. I worry about stepping on a shellfish or a conch about something that could cut my foot. I, however, continue carefully into the dark with only the fading lights of the town guiding me from the safe shore. The lights hover over my shoulder a while longer, then disappear. Now I can sense my security faded away flooded with anxious thoughts about wanting to turn back. Then I breathe deeply several times and reflect on what's back there. Candles lit in the memory of past time that can never be regained. It was forfeited, never to return. The dark envelops my field of vision and then my body. Suddenly I can no longer speak the foreign language I learned, only the mother one. All of those four f borrowed foreign acronyms fall right into place like an intricately woven melody. Dyed fabrics of ocean blue waving in ever more impressionistic visions split between ocean and mountain sights. I can no longer go forward as if I had broken down into a black hole under intense gravitational pressures. 
Time is gone, out of the moment, skipping along the sink of life in a beat of synchronic atmosphere and then back out again, etching into stones that could continue to wither into new configurations. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. It's very soothing. Your voice is incredibly soothing. <laughs> so uh, I know I just said I made the technological update, but uh, I brought all this back with me because I'm going to review our first 10 readers, which I have not memorized. So uh, that was Adam Holbeck. Before that was Mike Fresentes, Sarah Lynn Rogers, Faison Syed, Creighton Blinn, Tim Olds, Hannah Donovan, Bonnie Belay, Julie Hart, and Arthur Russell. So those first 10 readers. Again, to vote, 718-374-1953. Our next reader is Kayla Schwab. Give it up for Kayla. Um, I also wrote this poem in Laura Eve's lovely workshop. Um, it's in memory of my friend who would have turned 23 next week, so I thought it was timely. It's called Working Through the Fall for Daniel. A friend you call brother calls you, squeezes the truth through the phone. You don't hear the words that come after jumped. The next day, you take the train to work. Your eyes are sore in your sockets from the squeezing. They sting in the dim halos that light the subway car. You scan the same subway ads over and over, not knowing what to look for. You listen to the scientist by Coldplay on repeat. No one ever said it would be this hard. Hold your breath as the train lurches across the Brooklyn Bridge. Oh, take me back to the start. You try to recreate his laugh, how it felt like a gentle hug wrapped around your heart. You had a, he had a special touch with sound. At the top of the subway stairs, Times Square and its flashing lights cut through the morning. A block from your office in a small sanctuary behind a food truck, you suck air in hard, screaming sirens ebbing until your heart, until all you hear is. You've just been relocated to a new floor, to a desk with a view of the sun rising 28 stories over the city. How blessed we are to have natural light, to witness time passing over the humdrum. You lower yourself to the chair, bump your knee on a cardboard box of notebooks and briefs dated from before. It is left untouched under the desk for two months. You don't decorate the new space with photos of friends or art you once loved. You fill the empty spaces thinking of the messages you never sent him. The sun bounces off the Empire State, burns stories in your eyes. Microsoft Outlook dings. You stare out the window, empty. A coworker catches you and smiles. Mondays, he says, walking toward the pain. These open, you know. 
Who thought that was a good idea? He chuckles. You swallow day-old bile. At lunch, you take the elevator down with caution, cross the street, buy a coffee, and do not drink it. Your phone glows to console. You deflect the light, leave texts unread, send new ones that say, I'm here. Deadlines come and go, meeting objectives are met, and you are left unread. By 4.30, you are packing up, wrapping yourself up in scarves, wrapping yourself up in music that will never not be his, and running out headfirst into the damp October. Thank you. Thank you, Kayla. It's beautiful. And you are left unread. <laughs> Amazing line. Uh, also really reminded me of how sad Coldplay was. <laughs> Had some embarrassing moments while I was listening to your poem, remembering my own sad moments that were not nearly that sad. <laughs> um, okay, enough about me. Uh, great poem, Kayla. Our next reader is not that person, whoever that is. Turn that shit off. Our next... <laughs> Our next reader is Tim Gerber-Fleury. Give it up for Tim. All right. Are we, how are you guys? Jesus. Um, thanks, Arthur. Um, this, is, this is a like very heavy rework of something I read last year. Um, so you might like find some similarities to something you heard before. It's called Provisions. Dreams are carried like birds in jacket pockets. Yet, in caves, light is only red and grass barely grows. But we are safe there. Safe to play and to dance and to sing. The light of the fire on the walls guides us. The hills and the fields are our bed when we need rest. And these, landscape, and these landscapes may be God's own, but it is us who walk among it. These wild wanderings teach us humility, that the sounds of the world echo in stone bear more significance than we do. So we realize we're not much. Here and then gone, just a glimpse of an existence, a footnote. Only are we important in the eyes of those who care about us. In a cabin of all places, I want to wake up next to people I love, brothers and sisters of misfortune who walk with me. Thank you. It's good man, Tim Gerber-Fleury. I'm so excited about our retreat. Yeah, I know. That's how excited I am. <laughs> Every time we have a yop, the retreat gets closer, and I know I'm, I'm going to be on the beach and drinking and eating your food <laughs> and uh, hanging out with poets. What could be better? Uh, you might notice I had a wardrobe change. <laughs> anyway, it's hot. Are you hot? Should I turn on the AC? <laughs> All right, I'll turn it up. 
Um, okay, our next, I'm trying to remember who's the next reader. Uh, our next reader is, uh, shit, did I forget? Tim Gerber Fleury, Kayla Schwab, Tim Gerber Fleury. Who is the next reader? Hey, Abby, bring me my phone. <laughs> I've totally forgotten. Wow, I do need a RAM update. This is totally embarrassing. This is, uh, it's pretty great, though, that Abby is. This is Abby Wellhouse, everyone. This is an amazing poet. This is you. I knew there was a reason why you and Gregory showed up, so you could bring me. Oh, it's Renee Kay. Give it up for Renee. Yeah. In the same vein of technology making us forget, last month when I was reading, Siri took over my phone, and I couldn't see anything that I was reading, and I read the rest of my poem like out of order. <laughs> I'm going to try to not do that this month, but it's a shorter poem. Um, if you haven't read Jericho's Brown new collection, he created a new form called the duplex, which is like a combination of a sonnet and a gazelle. Um, so this is my attempt at one of those. It's called At the Center. In the beginning, a black hole, starving, lights up the sky with its violent hunger. I learned to make light of violent hunger, a vase. My form is defined by its emptiness. The value of my form is divine, defined by its emptiness. Decorate it with flowers and call it a home. A grave covered in flowers is still a home. Where do you think you're going to? I think we become space to carry desire, the, ra the way rain gets full from eating the sky. Haven't you also yearned to eat the sky? A sea of light to fill the darkness of your hunger. What can we create from the darkness of our hunger? In the beginning, a black hole starving. I was walking up here and I like forgot the name and then I got it back. <laughs> and let's turn around for the phone. Our next reader is Todd Friedman. Before I forget, give it up for Todd. Every April, the Dodge Poetry Festival sends out um, prompts for a week. If you want to receive them, you can sign up. And one of the prompts is for a poem, I think it's pronounced Cento, I'm not sure. And what you do is you take lines from other people's poems and you put them together and you make your own. And that can work. Uh, and then after doing that, I thought about all the expressions my father used to use. And I started to put them together, but it, it didn't work. And I needed to add some context. So I started putting in context. and then it began to, to gel, and um, I had a little context left over, so I put it in a container, I put it up with the rosemary and the thyme, and next time I write a poem, I'll have a little left. Okay, so this is called My Father's Expressions. My father liked to pull over to the side of the road and talk to the local yokels, as he liked to call them. He wouldn't have found it much fun if, he had a, if he'd had a GPS to help him navigate. In fact, a lot of my memories of him are in cars, like when he gets stuck behind a guy who was pulling out 
and the guy wasn't pulling out fast enough for him after the light had changed. He'd yell out, Schmuck, what do you read? <laughs> Only he wasn't interested in the guy's literary pursuits. <laughs> and the driver, in front of, the driver in front of us got out of his car, all six foot seven of him, with his hand in his pocket, he said to my father, you don't know what I got. It was a story my father told many times, for he said, that guy didn't need anything. <laughs> but that didn't last long. Before you knew it, he'd be declaiming to drivers who mouthed off to him, you shit in your hat. <laughs> or if he was in a really good mood, he'd shout out, up yours with gauze. And that, and that expression came hand motions. He took pride in that kind of stuff. I got some pair of balls, he'd boast, and he did. In the last few years of his life, you'd notice them bulging through his pants, as if he had an orange in there or maybe a grapefruit. But in moments when he was feeling low, he'd say of himself, I'm fucked up to the gills. I never did get to find out where his gills were. But back on a high again, he'd shout out, hoo-ha. If he was really impressed with something or feeling delight in his sarcastic bones, I never heard anyone else say that till I heard the Al Pacino character, Colonel Slade, say that in Scent of a Woman, the blind Colonel Slade. Do you remember that scene when he's speeding in an orange convertible Ferrari through one intersection after another? Hoo-ha, he shouts, thrilled beyond belief after he turns a corner. It reminds me of my father on a hot summer day, driving up the grass to get off a hot, crowded highway, and then speeding down the sidewalk, the hair blowing back on his head with his hand on the horn again. I can almost hear him yelling, hoo-ha! But there is something he said to me that I have to set apart from everything else when I was nearly 30, after I'd moved back in, no girlfriend, no job, taking forever to finish college. We went for a walk and he said, only the angels don't have deadlines. <laughs> In a way, my father lived his life through his expressions. And right then and there, I do believe he'd coined what could have been an instant classic, but he never said those words again. Somehow he must have known he'd already cast the spell. Good shit. Uh, you had a good workshop, Laura Eve. Um, I like that you said you had contacts left over, first of all. But uh, with gauze, I'm going to remember that till the day I die. <laughs> going to have to use that the next time. I mean, you, there's road rage, and then there's your father's road rage. He was actually inventive. I'm just like, motherfucker! <laughs> I have nothing, no creativity at all. But, uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Only angels have angels don't have deadlines, yes? That's what it was? Only angels. Only angels. Yeah. Is that true? No. I feel like the angels I feel like the angels probably do have I feel like God probably gave them a lot of deadlines. <laughs> I like to ruin things, Arthur. That's what I do. <laughs> I'm putting that together with the, the agony comment from earlier. Our next reader is Prince McNally. Get it for Prince.
species called butterfly. <clears throat> Standing in the backdrop of your unraveling, I watched you as you slowly pushed your way through the temperament of your storms. I have watched you struggle. I have watched you fall and crumble to the ground. I cringed at the sound of your psyche splattering into a thousand pieces. I could hear the rawness of your pain blaring like a trumpet against the echoes of your anxiety, its breath reeking of shame, of fear and insecurity. It haunted you with an ever persistent persistent mantra, a looping voice that said, you're not pretty enough, you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, but I don't believe it, nor should you, for I have watched you fall and crumble to the ground. I cringed at the sound of your psyche splattering into a thousand pieces, succumbing to the will of your fears, and I have watched you rise as you gather those shattered pieces, putting yourself together again, you turned the corner by turning a deaf ear to those whispering shadows. It may not have been pretty, but I have watched you in complete awe and amazement as you faced your storms, taxing life's most difficult maze, filled with obstacles that swallowed you whole in waves of blue ocean, forcing you to sink or swim in despite all your fears, you managed to swim those waves. It may not have been pretty. In fact, it was quite painful to watch you struggle, to watch you grow through those heavy bouts of depression, pain, and fear, turning a deaf ear to your anxiety at every corner, at every turn, till you could no longer hear its whispers until your pulse stopped racing, until you were able to breathe easy again. I watched you return victorious like a warrior from battle, slowly walking down Fifth Avenue. You were tired, bruised and battered, your back hunched over, your spirit quite sunken. You gone through the fire, and yet you remained unbroken. I wish I could have seen, you could have seen your victory. I wish I could have given you a parade down Fifth Avenue with a marching band marching, with horns blaring, with drummers strumming, with people cheering immense falling confetti for just when you thought you were defeated. Your courage kicked in, conquering your fear. You pushed through the darkness, reached for the stars, grabbing victory by its tail. You remind me of a cocooned caterpillar who had finally transcended, discovering his wings. For now, my dear friend, you are a butterfly flying. Thank you, Prince. Beautiful work. Our next reader uh, has been absent for a while, but just because she wasn't getting on the advanced list, I'm sure. Give it up for Judy Schneier. 
So um, in my experience of Jewish tradition, when someone dies, you have a funeral at the synagogue or the funeral home. Then you go to the grave and bury them and say Kaddish, right? Then you go to their home later in the evening to sit shiva, which means there's a service by the rabbi, and then people say their memories of the person and give words of comfort to the family, and then you eat. So this poem, the chronology of that event is the context for this poem. This is called, I Speak to Rabbi Levi Before My Brother-in-Law's Shiva. <clears throat> rabbi Levi, help me find some words to give my sister and her kids. We mourn with them today, my kids, my ex, and me. My ex has left, but he was here before. He drove us to the gravesite. My son's head lay still for me to scratch. My ex was up in front, so handsome, so detached. Our older son sat leg scrunched in the back. His, he's six feet tall, taller than us all. They looked outside to find their uncle's grave and told some stories from before our split. My sister's husband never split. He stayed with her. When he got sick, she cared for him. They lay together in the bed when he died. Oh, Rabbi, take a look at this sweet pic. My aunt just snapped it of my son and me. I kiss his cheek. His eyes look sideways back. He smiles big. His braces glint and gleam. You see, this is the son who's been away. But he came home for this funeral. We all rode together in the car. We all walked together up the hill. Her husband's grave. Her face froze in a twist. Along the edge, her eyes were looking in. His brother held her arm while I looked on. Across from us, my kids stood with their dad. Rabbi Levy, give me words. Her husband's dead. I can't think with these thoughts swirling through my head. Thank you, Judy. Welcome back. Our next reader uh, is the second place winner of our Whitman Bicentennial Poetry Contest in the 23 and Up Age category. Give it up for Constantine Jones. Hi, friends. Hi, Constantine. Hi. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to do that fucking terrifying thing where I read a brand new poem because, yeah, I feel comfortable doing that here. Um, as usual, um, this poem is part of an ongoing series of poems uh, of mine called Ruins in Progress, which is dedicated to um, the HIV positive, both those still here and those still not here. Uh, I hope you know your mythography because this is called uh, Voiceover Persephone. 
Dear God, I am only yours twice a year. Once when I come and again when I go, but not when I'm here, that's not when you want me. Dear God, I prick myself on your shadows, in your rooms crackling vinyl, or is it flame? I make myself a vapor of a heart, but oh death, dear God, I am wet. I am earth, I am wither. For you, I thread wisteria through my ribcage. Bushel up all my wrong for care, for kindling. Oh, death, dear God, if my mother only knew the things I do, she'd tell me I deserve you. She'd send my sheets down herself, say, guess you got what you wanted. Dear God, I can only burn my nose between your shoulder blades for so long. I only burn up when I am under the earth, when I am here. Dear God, the poets they praise, they fear your heat, but death is a deep purple water churning around inside your shell, and I am sand inside your claw, O death. Dear God, how can you hoard up so much inside? How can you drink and drink and swell it all up, my memories? Is there no shore on your shore? Are you so dry, O death? Dear God, I am pooling. I'm getting this wrong, and I will burn this down anyway, this poor body. I will feel what you do not. I will want me when I'm here. O death, dear God, I wake and I run out, thigh deep in the dead. They miss my garments with their fingers, lick my cheekbones, tell me, make it out while you still can, sister. But me, me, I'm no different than the liquid dead. Me, I'm a small blinking light in your river of shade. I wade away up to my breast in shadows, snatching half-remembered hands, unformed fingers, men whose names you've stolen, men who know mine, untouchable men touching my garments while I speed through, and still I return to you at the end. Still the ferryman finds me, brings me back. Still I come back to a here where you don't want me. Not really, not unless I am coming or about to go. Down here, it's an endless night alone. I thought I could want this, I thought I could float, but let me go back to a here where I'm wanted, or else let me just join the dead man's flow. Dear God, if I make it through this night, I'm coming for you in the morning with teeth. Thank you. God damn, God damn with teeth. Good shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was actually just thinking that. Uh, our next reader is our co-winner of Yacht Poem of the Year for 2018. Give it up for Laura Murphy. Hi. Um, all right. So... This is one of my favorite poems that I've ever written, um, but I've workshopped it a couple times, and it's not really a crowd pleaser, so, <laughs> so <please>. sorry. <laughs> um, all right. Stuplimity, a poem for Edith. On Easter afternoon, the fire ate it, tearing through the pews but sparing the parishioners. God bless. Hoses drawn, firefighters pointed flaccid beams of water at flames as sirens crooned. An empty gesture, like gallantry gone bad. The thick, nourishing human air blackened with salamanders of smoke. The inferno, inferno still clawed at the cathedral's throat. Hellfire, announced the next day's headlines. Angel of devastation, and once a woman made a good match in that fire trap. 
She was Pussy Jones of the Tenderloin District, whose success and vitality finally crushed her husband. <laughs> the event took on the magical malignancy of an international con cocktail bitch caught in a real estate plot. There were lawsuits and insurance disputes and scaffolding laced with cameras that spied on anyone trying to scale the pinewood planks and climb the blue staircase up the shrouded carapace to look down on the patrimony of ashes. That was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I love those disclaimers, though. <laughs> they have a great psychological effect. Everyone else hated this poem, so now you're all gonna love it. <laughs> Very smart. Uh, our next reader is our Yarp of the Year from 2018, and our future guest MC in July. Give it up for Bill Livingston. Last month, a family friend had a birthday party at his house in the Bronx, and he wanted to make it a theme. It was a German theme party. Uh, guys had to wear lederhosen. Women had to wear dirndls, like the St. Pauli girl dresses. Yeah, Ger German leather shorts. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm going to have to get German leather shorts for this party. He's like, no, no, I got you. I got you. I'm like, what, are you going to rent them or something? And Am I going to have to double up on my boxer briefs for sanitary reasons? Or but when we got there, he, he gave me this package, and it was like a, a Halloween costume from Amazon. So And it was made not of leather, but of this unnatural fiber that was created in a lab in Jersey somewhere. And Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Arthur. I love you. <laughs> But you're from Brooklyn. <laughs> but, <I'm representing>. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, if you want to see what that looks like, uh, see me after. Um, <coughs> so he, so he, he asked people to create something for him, like a piece of music or a song or something written. So I wrote this for him. And it's called The Happy Mortician for His 55th Birthday. The Yiddish took the German word mensch, simply meaning person, and made it their own, refining the definition to person of integrity and honor. Jeffrey, German surname clear, meaning pure or beautiful, is just that, pure, beautiful human of integrity and honor, with an uncanny and rare joie de vivre or Lebensfreude. For one of his vocation, as a mortician, so many people are dying to be near you. It's us who are lucky enough to be alive for the moment. <laughs> Standing here in dirndls and lederhosen, which I'll never have the calves for, to celebrate Fumpf and Fumpzig, double nickel, 55, which I can't drive, but he wears it so well like that fine, ever-present fedora on his pure and beautiful head. His mind-blowing, hilarious stories of of working with the dead and their post-mortem flatulence. His dances with the macabre between square dances on the Bryant Park lawn and the truly entertaining tales of his gorgeous family have always been the main course at every dinner gathering. These are the stories that take my own fear of death, slay it and bomb it, dress it in Hugo Boss, and lay it to rest in a heavy downpour. 
When he walks around Manhattan, he walks around Manhattan. The love of his city takes him around the entire circumference of the island yearly, feeling all 32 miles of its essence, history, and cloudy future under the leather soles of his well-worn floor shines. Always the inspiration to live the well-lived life. And when I say Auf Wiedersehen to this mortal coil and find myself lucky enough to end up on his slab, I know I'll be in good hands. And as my family mourns and the gods contemplate the fate of my soul, please know, sir, that I'm a grower, not a shower. <laughs> Alles Gute zum Geburtstag. Happy birthday. Thank you. I don't know what to say after that. Usually the yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a grower, not a shower. Oh, my Lord. Uh, I'll feed her Zane. <laughs> Good German, by the way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> paid off. Our next, we, we're on to the wait list. Uh, I'm going to ask you how to pronounce it. Is it Shirin Chowderi? That's right. Nice. Give it up for Shirin Chowderi. Better. They seek the better while I see the better in them. I have loved and cared like no other. I, feel I fight till the very end because I feel I can't do any better than them. But I can. I settle. I refuse to see the red sign, red flags, and just see the very little of goodness they have to offer. But that goodness isn't enough for anyone. I give my heart, but they give very little in return. I take that return and I elaborate to my friends and myself, but shortly it takes a turn. I give them the confidence, the goodness, the charisma. They feel invisible, invincible with the way I treat them, and they feel there is someone out there that ex could exceed that. But I doubt there is because no one will fight a fight like I would for the man I care about. The way I put my heart and soul in, the way I speak, with them, speak to them with a poetic tone and affectionate words, they turn their cheek and end it on bad terms, only to come back to my life when I'm in love with life again and recovering from the damage done when they left me. Thank you, Sharon. Fuck those guys. That's <laughs> you know that's what I say. I haven't said it in a while. You know, I usually, usually say it after Julia and Knobloch's poems. Where the fuck is Julia, by the way? Isn't it her birthday? Oh, she, oh, when it's her birthday, she doesn't come to the yop. I see. She just celebrates downstairs. Very nice. Um, anyway, our next reader off the waitlist, I think, is another yop. That was a yop debut. Yes, your first time here. But uh, did you read? You read five years ago. Wow. Well, welcome back. Fuck, that's a long time. Yeah. Excellent. Pretty much the same, right? <laughs> like they they got better? Is that what you said? Anyway, let's let's move on. This is why do, why do you why do you invite this? <laughs> Such a thankless job. My entire body is in pain right now. 
yeah, this is, I'm fucking typing too much. That's why I'm answering all your emails. <laughs> Working on this fucking intro for Walt fucking Whitman. Our next reader is Julie Hoffman. Give it up for Julie. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's my first time here. Um, um, so uh, this is a sonnet, and it's called Revelation. Oft times I see the madman in my mind. He sings the song of sacred souls possessed and beckons me to thoughts the most unkind. With silent screams, I pray that I be blessed. While in the dark, I call out to the light, consume me and forever be my shrine. She answers to relieve me of my fright. The heart of night is intertwined with mine. The brightest day comes from the blackest night. And those who choose may see them both as one. Stand back and revel in the earth's delight, for when you do, your sorrow will be done. The madman's song is one which you create. Unmask him now and hear his song deflate. Thank you. That was great, thank you. Uh, so <laughs> I just realized my watch is like running 20 minutes late. It's 9 fucking 45. Why didn't someone tell me? Um, so I, yeah, just stop. I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put you, I'm gonna put you in there, <laughs> all right? Our next reader, I totally skipped Joe. Joe, our intern, so uh, Joe is gonna read. We're gonna close out the open mic. Give it up for Josephine Blair. It's okay. I can stand on my tiptoes a little bit. We're like almost, oh, I'm not that short, man. <laughs> I appreciate you. Um, I didn't realize it was closing on open mic. Uh, shout out to Laura Eve for the wine, because I wasn't even going to read. <laughs> um, in case you think this is bad, just so you know, it's entirely written in blank verse, so you should be very impressed. Okay. It's from Jason's workshop. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, thank you. Um, yeah, oh, okay, no, that was not directed at me, never mind. Okay, <laughs> it's whatever. Um, it's called Jalix, which should be explained in the poem. Um, okay. He hears they all have J names, the three laughing beside him at the table where he tries to read, but keeps instead imagining landscapes across the arching of her eyes, rising to touch the sun before she speaks. He plots his move, listening to them squabble about which planets or which giants, he knows, but leans to her instead and asks her if she has a pencil. He won't deface Burgess with ink. His voice collapses, she gathers it, in pieces, stuffs bits into her pockets and says yes. She asks his name. It's Jalix. She twists her brows and laughs. Your name is what? His cheeks are flushed, eyes flicker. No, it's Alex. I heard you all had J names and I wanted to fit in. 
She's struck. You're kind of amazing. They spend the week pouring into each other. They do not know she'll come years later to hang these words to dry, like flowers on a tombstone. She'll leave her breath to filter through the wet tongues of ghosts from all the words before. They do not know he'll die while she is driving, that she will spend a decade learning how to count. Practice at first with words he's left, clockwork, coffee, rooftops, lily, each blossom a planet impossible to swallow. She'll spend full moons subtracting sound from color, let the remainders hang between her teeth like shoestrings, multiply to find the distance between old mountains and the things they've lost. She will scream at the garbage disposal each time it shreds an orange peel, confusing fruit with her own flesh. Water will flush away what's left, erase it like a memory. She'll scream at everything. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Uh, that is all. Um, to review, it's almost 10, my God. I'm gonna review with two, yeah, so I have, oh my God, so much pain. I can't even hold my phone right now. <laughs> to review, to vote for Poem of the Month, that was Josephine Blair, who will gladly sell you a t-shirt or membership in the back if you want, on the way out. Before that was Julie Hoffman, Sheeran Chowdhury. And then we had Bill Livingston, Laura Murphy, Constantine Jones, Judy Schneier, Prince McNally, Todd Friedman, Renee Kay, Tim Gerber-Fleury, Kayla Schwab, Adam Holabek, Mike Fresenti, Sarah Lynn Rogers, Faison, Faison Syed, Creighton Blinn, Tim Olds, Hannah Donovan, Bonnie Belay, Julie Hart, and Arthur Russell. Do you all remember that? Yeah. You remember who you want to vote for? So the number to vote, I'm already getting votes. This is amazing. 718-374-1953. They're just like rolling in right now. 718-374-1953. Uh, again, May 31st. Uh, at 7.30, Smack Mellon and Dumbo. I hope to see you there. It's a free event. We'll have food. We'll have wine. We'll have poetry. We'll have Constantine Jones, Marietta Brill. Uh, I will be there. <laughs> Mark Doty will be there. I don't think he's going to bring his dogs. Uh, although, who knows? Tina Chang will be there. Rowan Ricardo Phillips. Uh, fellowships. I forgot to mention that for workshops. If you don't have any money, you want to take a workshop with us, you can apply for a fellowships uh, or a fellowship. Those are due... May 26th, I think. It's the Sunday before the early registration, whatever the last Sunday of May is. So check out that at brooklynpoets.org. We will be back here in June. What's the second Monday of June, people? Does anyone know? Huh? 10th, June 10th. Uh, Emily Hunt, one of our new professors, will be leading that workshop. She's teaching a really cool workshop called Influence in Both Directions. That sounds intriguing. It's because it is. Check that out, brokenpost.org. It's on the flyer. Thank you to Anna Bazicevich. Let's give her one more round of applause. <laughs> teaching an awesome workshop. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you. Good night. Be well. So, there you have it, the Brooklyn Poets Yop Open Mic for May 13th. 
thanks to our professor Anna Bozicevic for leading a wonderful workshop on uh, why we love New York City in those rare moments that we do complete with extended visualization exercise. It's pretty cool to see everyone with their eyes closed during the workshop for about five minutes. Congrats to former Brooklyn Poets fellow and current Brooklyn Poets intern Josephine Blair for winning Yacht Poem of the Month for May for her poem Jalix, written in my own blank verse workshop, incidentally. Joe has 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 earned free admission to a future Yacht and a spot in our Poem of the Year Smackdown coming your way on, what day is that, December 9th. We have a few things coming up, including a very big event this Friday on May 31st, which you may know is the 200th birthday of Walt Whitman. We will be at Smack Melon in Dumbo celebrating with the winners and judges of our Whitman Bicentennial Poetry Contest, which uh, opened for submissions back in January. Tina Chang, Rowan Ricardo Phillips, and Mark Doty will be there, our judges, along with the three winners in each of three different age brackets from high school age on up to adults, 23 and up, as you heard during the Yobcast uh, of the open mic. So come out for that. That's free. You'll get a free copy of a commemorative chapbook that we put together for the event. It looks pretty freaking fancy, if I say so myself. Uh, Another deadline coming up June 2nd, this Sunday, our early registration deadline for our summer workshops. If you are interested in getting $15 off, if you are not a member, uh, definitely apply or register for workshops. By then, we'll be announcing our summer Book and Poets Fellows on that date as well. And coming up on Monday, June 10th, our next YAWP featuring new professor Emily Hunt, who will be giving you a glimpse of what she'll be teaching in her five-week workshop for us this summer called Influence in Both Directions. Pretty exciting, looking workshop. So definitely check that out. Go to brooklynpoets.org if you want more information and if you want to sign up for the workshop and or open mic. We hope to see you there. Thanks to all of you who are rating us on iTunes. We are actually now up to 23 five-star ratings. It's pretty awesome. Keep them coming. Uh, We hope you've enjoyed this, and we'll see you at the next Yop in June. Take care.